Amen. Jesus is better. Well, welcome everyone. My name is Chris. I'm one of the pastors here at the church. I uh, hope you are all doing well this morning. Hopefully you're excited uh, to be here to open up God's word. Uh, even if somebody drug you here this morning, uh, I hope that God speaks uh, to you and uh, through his word to us this morning. What I want to do uh, as we get started here, well, first I wanted to say welcome back to Pastor Adam. Uh, it is great to have you back, brother. Uh, as most of you know, he was in India uh, for uh, two weeks, so the better part of two weeks there, um, and it's good to have him back. He got back safely uh, late Tuesday night, and praise God for answered prayer. We were praying for him. We were praying for his trip, said that he had a good trip, and uh, that he was, of course, safe both to and uh, back from India. So praise God for that. What I want to do this morning, though, I want to open up with uh, prayer this morning. I want to pray for a couple things. Uh, specifically, number one, that God would speak uh, through his word to our hearts this morning, that we wouldn't just come sit and take part in this, this service, but that God would be speaking in to our hearts directly this morning, and that as we leave this place, that we would leave encouraged, uh, challenged, and uh, just full of life and energy in Jesus. Uh, the second thing I want to pray for is our dear sister Esther Zemer. Uh, for those of you who know uh, the Zemer family and Esther, uh, she was diagnosed this past week with non-Hodgkin's lymphoma. Uh, I was with her on Wednesday. Uh, she is in a great deal of pain and suffering, um, a lot of pain there and difficulty sleeping and different things like that. So we just want to be in prayer for her and the family. We want to pray that God would uh, strengthen her and, of course, bring her through this. Uh, I was encouraged. We're going to talk about faith this morning. I was encouraged by her faith, even in the midst of her suffering and the pain that she was in. Her faith in God was not wavering. And so I was encouraged by that. But we just want to pray for her as well. The last thing uh, I want to pray for is our nation. We've prayed about this the last couple weeks. Uh, You clearly know if you have not been living under a rock for any amount of time, uh, you know that uh, our nation is in a lot of turmoil, especially with the political season, uh, Republican National Convention, Democratic National Convention coming up this week. Uh, There's a lot of uh, hatred, I will be honest. I don't think it's a stretch to use that word. There's a lot of hatred in our culture right now, and so we want to be in prayer for our country, our leaders as well. So let's just do that. If you would, uh, just pray with me uh, as we go before the Lord. So Father, we are uh, thankful for this day that you've given us. Thank you for Sunday, a day that we can come together corporately as a group of people and we can worship your name. We can lift your name high. I praise you for Jesus, that our sins have been dealt with. Lord, that there is no more condemnation, no more guilt. We should not live with shame because of what Jesus has done for us. Father, may we rest in that this morning. Will you grow our faith? We talk about faith this morning. We grow that. Father, I pray for Esther. I pray for the Zemer family. I pray for uh, healing for her. I pray that you would bring peace that surpasses all understanding in the midst of a great time of suffering and hurt. Father, will you just bring her peace um, and healing through, maybe through your people, through others, maybe through your Holy Spirit. Uh, but God, we just pray for your mercy upon her. Father, for our nation, pray for healing. We pray for, pray for leaders to rise up. Lord, will you do a work in those that are in authority, those that are leading our country. Father, you told us we don't have to fear because you are in control. And so, Father, we trust you. But Lord, there is a, a darkness that has covered our land. I pray that you would eradicate that, that you would push the darkness back. Lord, that you would bring unity in your church, and Lord, that you would bring many to faith 
in Jesus. And lastly, Father, as we uh, jump into the book of Hebrews, will you speak to us through the power of your Holy Spirit? Will you make your word clear to us? And Lord, may we go from this place uh, changed, encouraged, growing in our faith. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so we got some work to do here in the book of Hebrews. Uh, If you've been with us, you know that we've been in the book of Hebrews since about Memorial Day. I believe it was the first day in the series, and now we're all the way up to Hebrews chapter 11 this morning. Um, So here we are, Hebrews 11, verses 1 through 7. If you are new to the Bible, you don't own a Bible, uh, perhaps you didn't bring your Bible with you this morning, shame on you. Why didn't you bring your Bible? No, that's not why I'm saying that. Uh, There are Bibles in the pews. So uh, I'll tell you what, if you don't own a Bible, I'll make this gift to you today. You can have that Bible if you don't own a Bible. Uh, I say that every week, but we do, honestly, we would love for you to take it if you don't own uh, a Bible. That's a gift to you. But if you're in those pew Bibles, we will be on page 1016 this morning. So let's read. Uh, I will read. You can follow along. Hebrews chapter 11, verses 1 through 7. So faith is confidence, the confidence that what we hope for will actually happen. It gives us assurance about things we cannot see. Through their faith, the people in the days of old earned a good reputation. By faith, we understand the entire universe was formed at God's command, that what we now see did not come from anything that can be seen. It was by faith that Abel brought a more acceptable offering to God than Cain did. Abel's offering gave evidence that he was a righteous man, and God showed his approval of his gifts. Although Abel is long dead, he still speaks to us by his example of faith. It was by faith that Enoch was taken up to heaven without dying. He disappeared because God took him, for before he was taken up, he was known as a person who pleased God. And it is impossible to please God without faith. If anyone Anyone who wants to come to him must believe that God exists and that he rewards those who sincerely seek him. So I want to jump right in off of this passage in verse 6. It is impossible to please God without faith. Let that sink in for a second. It is impossible to please God without faith. So if I don't have faith, I cannot please God. That's what that verse is telling us. Now, I want to ask you a question. It's a rhetorical question, but how many of us want to please God? How many of us, that's our goal, is to please God. We want God to be pleased with us. How many of us, when we get to the end of our race, we want to hear, well done, good and faithful servant? We want to please him. If you believe, my hunch is, if you believe in the existence of God, if you believe that God exists in any form, then you believe or you desire to please him. That would be my hunch. I think that most of us who believe in the existence of God would want to please him. Now, our, one of the problems that comes to us in this is our view of God, our view of who God is, how we view God will determine how we try to please him. All right? If we view God as an angry taskmaster, as an angry taskmaster as got to be done this way. And if you don't do it this way, you're going to get pounded, right? Some people live with that view of God, that God is this angry man in the sky with a stick just waiting for us to blow it. And so anytime we fail, anytime we we do blow it, it, it crushes us because we feel like God is looking down on us and he just wants to beat us up. Maybe your view of God is that he is the father that you grew up with that you could never please. 
Anything you did, it was just never quite good enough. And our view of God, if our view of God is like that, if our view of God is that God is that Father that we just can't please and we try everything we do, just doesn't seem to please him, then we're going to struggle with the love of God. We're going to struggle to see God's love for us because God's love for us then is what I would call contractual, right? We think of God's love of contractual in that if I do something, if I do some behavior, if I abstain from another behavior, then I'm pleasing God. So God's love for me is based on my performance. It's based on my ability to keep his commands. It's based on my ability to do the things he's asked me to do. And so that's a contractual love, if that's the case. If God's love for us is based on the things that we do, then it's a contractual love. And we've kind of belabored uh, this point over the last a uh, couple weeks, but I think it's with good reason because I don't see in the scriptures, as I read the scriptures, I don't see that God's love for us is based on what we do, but our love, or his love for us is based on who he is. He's a loving father. He desires to be in relationship with us. And so we need to start to ask the question. There's this, there's this thought here of pleasing God. What pleases God? What does God desire of us? Well, I think Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6 is at the core of the Christian faith. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6 is at the core. It's what it means to be a follower of, of Jesus. Faith has always been at the core of a relationship with God. Always been. You go back Old Testament, right? Faith has always been the core. I'll give you a verse. Habakkuk chapter 2, and this is the second part of verse 4. The righteous... Right? Those who are right with God shall live by faith. By faith. So that's what we're going to talk about this morning. What is faith? There was an author, uh, actually he was a priest, an author. Uh, he passed away several years ago. His name is Brennan Manning. Some of you might know Brennan Manning. Uh, he said this, after years of studying the scriptures and after years of of taking time in meditation and prayer, he, at the end of his life, was utterly convinced that the one question that we would face on Judgment Day, the one question when we stand before Jesus, the one question that Jesus is going to ask us is this. Did you believe that I loved you? Did you believe that I loved you? It's the one question that Brendan Manning thinks that we will face when we, on Judgment Day. And he says this, that the true believers, the true followers of God, will be able to look back at Jesus and say, yes, I did. I believe that you love me, and I tried to shape my life around that love. But the others will have to look back at him and say, well, frankly, sir, no. I believe that you existed. I even taught others about you. But I never truly believed that you loved me. And for Brennan Manning, that's what he says is the difference. He's convinced that's the difference between the true followers of God and those who are not. I want you to look at this. I want you to look at something with me. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 35. We're going to go back into last week for a second here. And I think it's important. I think it points something out to us. 
Verse 35, so do not throw away this confident trust in the Lord. Again, the author is writing to those, uh, those who have put their faith in Jesus, those who are struggling. Remember, right before this, he's talking about their suffering, those who are thrown in jail, those who have been ridiculed for their faith. He's saying, don't throw it away. Put your confidence and trust in the Lord. Remember the great reward it brings you. So there's a reward that comes with this trust and confidence in Jesus. Patient endurance is what you need now so that you will continue to do God's will. Then you will receive all that he has promised. And I think the word, when we talk about faith, the word that comes to my mind that's closely related to this is trust. This is the word that I always think of when I think about faith is do I trust Do I trust that God is good? Do I trust that God is faithful? Do I trust that God can deliver on his promises? If you look at this passage in verse 36, then you will receive all that he has promised you. And again, it's not about us fulfilling our promises to God. It's about God fulfilling his promises to us. And is he capable? So if I place my faith in him, I'm saying God is capable fully capable of fulfilling the promises that he has made to us. And I want to give you a couple of promises. Now, we could be here all morning and I could give you a whole list of promises that God has given us. But I want to give you three, three that stand out to me, three that I continually come back to. So the question, what has God promised and is he faithful to deliver? Well, one of the things he's promised is that if I place my faith, my trust in Jesus Christ and his death on the cross and his resurrection, what happens to me is that I become a new creation. I can tell you when I placed my faith in Jesus Christ, when I said it's not about me anymore, it's all about him, and I trusted him for the salvation and the forgiveness of my sins, there was a change in my life that took place. No one can ever take that away from me. There was something different about me. I was a different person. I would say, or the Bible would say, I became a new creation. Another promise that he gives us, that he's returning. Jesus is returning. If you take Jesus at face value, he says, I'm going to prepare a place for you and I will return. He's He's coming back. Jesus is returning. Do you trust that this is the case? Do you trust that he's faithful to fulfill this promise? There were those in the scriptures that started to doubt this. And Peter replied to them and said, hey, don't take this long pause as his inability to fulfill the promise. It's not that. It's that he's bringing all along into salvation those that are putting their faith in Jesus Christ. There's more that need to come into the family of God. So that's why the delay. And lastly... We will live in the house of the Lord forever. That comes out of Psalm 23. I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. If you have put your faith in Jesus, this is eternity, right? This isn't just a week vacation. This isn't a month-long stay. This is eternity with God. Now, do you believe that he's faithful, that he can answer these promises? And these are just a few. And see, faith is taking God at his word. Faith is believing that he's able to fulfill the promises and waiting patiently for the things that are unseen to be seen, to be fulfilled. Look at verse 3 with me here in Hebrews chapter 11. 
By faith, we understand that the entire universe was formed at God's command, that what we now see did not come from anything that can be seen. Not one of us, not one person in this room was there when God shaped the earth, when God separated the land from the water, when God said that the ocean could only come this far, that the mountains would be this high. Not one of us was there when he placed the stars in the sky and he created the planets. And he created man, and he created animals, and he created life. Not one of us was there. It's unseen. We didn't see it happen, but we understand it. We believe it by faith. Now, this isn't blind, dumb faith. There's evidence of it, right? There's evidence. When we look around us, when we look at the intricacies of the human body, you look at your body, the eyes. Just think about the eye for a second. Think about what your eye does, the way your eyes work, the amount of information that's processed that goes into your brain. It is an amazing thing. And when those things in your physical body start to malfunction, when they don't work the way that God designed them, it causes us, what, pain, discomfort, right? It is not without evidence. But we were not there when he created it. I wasn't there when Jesus was nailed to the cross. I wasn't there when the, t- the stone was rolled away and Jesus came out of the tomb and was resurrected. But that is not without evidence, historical evidence, that Jesus was who he said he was. That the tomb was empty, that they couldn't find his body. There were many there whose lives were drastically changed after they saw the resurrected Christ. So there's evidence But it's still to us unseen. We weren't there. We didn't see it. But faith is believing in what we didn't see or haven't seen. And there's evidence there for us. Now, I would say that faith is something that we live with every day. Whether you're an atheist, agnostic, any religion, or a follower of Jesus. Faith is something we live with every day. I'll point this out. I'll illustrate this for you, for you in this way. So Pastor Adam was just, uh, just in India. And to get home from India, he, as you would believe, took a plane, right? I'm going to guess that most of you have been on a plane before. Most of you. And when you get on a plane, there is a lot of faith that's involved in getting on, on a plane. All right? Because you weren't there when the plane was built. You don't know the people who were building the plane. You don't know the last time that plane was serviced. I'm going to guess that most of us don't have that information. When we get on a plane, when we take a flight, we're not thinking, oh, yeah, this plane was serviced last week by this mechanic. We don't know who the mechanic was that serviced it. We don't know who the pilot is who's flying it. We don't know who the air traffic controllers are who are going to bring that plane in for a landing at a time when it's safe to land, right? But we just get on the plane. Why do we get on the plane? Because we believe in the system that's been established. We've seen, there's been evidence that it is safer to fly a plane or get on a commercial airline than it is to drive our car. And because of that, we get on the plane without even thinking about all of those things that I just mentioned. The maintenance, the the air traffic controllers, the pilot, all of that stuff, most of us don't really think about that. We sit down, we turn on our, our iPad, or we turn plug in a movie, or whatever it is, or we go to sleep. We take pills, we go to sleep, whatever it is that you do on a plane, all right? But you're not, if you were seriously doubting, 
had major doubts about the construction of the plane or the pilot or the ability of the mechanics or the air traffic controller, you wouldn't get on the plane. But by faith in what's unseen, because you don't see a lot of those things, you put your faith in that. So we live by faith. The question is, what is your faith in? What do you trust? Who do you trust? Last weekend, my wife and I took a hike. We went on a, yeah, took a hike. That sounded funny the way I said that. Uh, we went on a hike with some friends of ours. Uh, and we, I told you last week that we were going on a trip to Israel. We're going to be hiking quite a bit in Israel, 6 to 12 miles a day. So my wife and I decided, well, we better start training for this because we're not, we don't typically hike a whole lot. Uh, we have a large family, so it's difficult to hike with a large family like ours with our young kids. And so we just don't do it that much, but we do enjoy it. Uh, so we asked some friends if they would take us. We got some sitters for the younger kids and uh, asked some friends if they would take us hiking. And we told them, we're training, so you've got to take us on a decent hike, right? And so we went hiking with them. It was down south of Lancaster, and they took us on this nine-mile hike, right? And all I realized coming out of this hike is that there's more training that I need to do because <laughs> this was a pretty uh, intense hike. And we were going through this uh, through the, the mountains on these tight trails and stuff. And we were like halfway through. And all of a sudden, my wife and I both, we started realizing there's nobody else on these trails. Like we've been hiking for literally over an hour and we haven't seen another l- person. There's no sign of life other than the animals that were around us. There's no sign of life. And I'm starting to think, well, this is bad. Like, do we know where we're going? Are we on the right trail? Because it's a nice day. It's not like we're out in the middle of nowhere hiking. So there should be some people around. And I guess it's because of the the difficulty of this trail is why people don't typically hike it. But the, the, the thing I wanted to get to or the point I wanted to make is that we were just trusting our guides, and they told us, we were getting to the end and we're starting to ask the question like, so how long, how long do we have to go yet? How much further? And we got to the, close to the end and they're like, the, the car is literally 200 yards from us. And I had no idea. I mean, it could have been left, it could have been right. I had no idea where that car was, but I trusted them. They said 200 yards. Sure enough, walked 200 yards there. It was. They knew where they were. But I had placed my faith or we had placed our faith in that guide. Things unseen. We didn't know where we were headed, but we trusted the ones who were taking us. So think about that in life. God is taking you on a journey. Do you trust him? Things unseen. You don't know when the end of the journey is, right? You don't know when your time is up or where that car is, where the hiking will stop. But you're trusting him. I hope, I pray that that's the case, that you you trust that he knows where he's going. He knows where he's taking you. Now, I want to bring into something here. The, the, when we talk about our faith in God, our faith in God should be functional. Our faith in God should be functional. What I mean by this, our faith should drive our direction. It should change us. It should move us in a certain way. All right? If you believe in the existence of God, but it has not changed your life in one, like one bit, then you really need to ask yourself a question. Do I just believe in God or do I have faith in God? Because I have found in my experience and as I talk with others who are on a similar journey and they are walking with God or walking with Jesus, they've placed their faith in God. God has changed their lives. God has 
motivated them to do certain things that typical people would say, oh, that's, why would you do that? Like, why would you give your money away to the church? Why would you serve other people with your time? Why would you invest in that way? Why would you go to a foreign country to share the gospel with people who don't understand your language? Why would you do that? Well, faith, functional faith, is when our faith in God starts to direct our lives. It starts to, to change the direction we're going. Now look, at, look with me here at verse uh, 2 in Hebrews chapter 11. Through their faith, the people in days of old, this is speaking about Old Testament saints. Now, I don't want to steal the thunder for the weeks ahead because that's what Hebrews chapter 11 is. It's the faith hall of fame. It's those in the Old Testament who lived their lives by faith and it impacted their lives. They made different decisions than others because of their faith. So that's who he's talking about. Earned a good reputation. I think every one of us who believes in God wants to hear at the end of our lives, well done, good and faithful servant. In other translations, what this is saying is, you will find in other translations, that they are commended for their faith. In other words, they're being praised. God is actually commending them, saying, well done, good job. He's commending them for their faith. That's what every one of us, I believe, wants to experience. So is your faith impacting your decision making? Is your faith impacting your life choices, the way you live your life? If your faith is functional, it will. It will impact the way you spend your time. It will impact the way you spend your money. It will impact the way you use your gifts. It will impact the way you interact with others. It is, it is typical in the human condition for us to be motivated and directed on our path, to be headed in our direction, to put ourselves first, to only think about us. But when you experience God and his love and you start to think about how the world is full of people that God has created, it begins to change your perspective. It changes the way you live with others. It changes the way you see others. It changes the way you interact with others. We tend to be or should be when we're walking by faith much more patient with people because we understand that they're on a journey. We tend to be more patient. We tend to be more loving. We tend to be more merciful, more gracious because God has been gracious with us. He's been merciful to us. So I'd ask you again, is your faith functional? How does your faith impact your life? How does it impact the way you interact with your kids, your plan for your life? How does it impact those things? As I was looking at this, there was one particular interaction in the Gospels. As we look at the life of Jesus, there was one particular interaction that really stood out to me that I want to share with you this morning. It comes out of the book of Matthew. Excuse me. Matthew chapter 8, verses 5 through 13. (coughs) Excuse me. It's hard to preach with a cold, so you have to forgive me. But so Matthew chapter 8, verses 5 through 13. Matthew is a great example of somebody who was impacted by Jesus and their faith changed their lives. Matthew was a tax collector. Matthew comes into interaction with Jesus and Jesus says, hey, come and follow me. And it changes his life. He goes on to write about his experience with Jesus through his gospel. And here's what he says about this one interaction. When Jesus returned to Capernaum, a Roman officer came and pleaded with him. 
And I want to point out something to you here. It's a Roman officer. Right? It's not a Jewish follower of God. This isn't a follower of Yahweh. This is a Roman officer, somebody who was in the land, occupying the land, somewhat as a police force to enforce Roman law. But this Roman officer sees something in Jesus. And he comes to Jesus and he says, Lord, calls him Lord. That's a profound statement. Right? Lord, my young servant lies in bed, paralyzed and in terrible pain. Jesus, recognizing this as a question, responds to him and says, I will come and heal him. I will come and heal him. Something that I want to point out about this Roman officer is he saw the greatness of Jesus. How do I know that? Well, I know that because he would come and ask the question. If he didn't think that this person could help him, why would he ask him the question? Why would he step out and ask Jesus, Jesus, my servant is ill. Will you come and heal him? But Jesus saw something or I'm sorry, the Roman officer saw something in Jesus and said, he is able. So he recognized the greatness of God, the greatness of Jesus. But the officer said, Lord, I'm not worthy to have you come into my home. Just say the word from where you are and my servant will be healed. I know this because I am under the authority of my superior officers and I have authority over my soldiers. I only need to say go and they go or come and they come. And if I say to my slaves, do this, they do it. When Jesus heard this, he was amazed. Turning to those who were following him, he said, I tell you the truth. I haven't seen faith like this in all of Israel. This man had such great faith. Jesus says, I will come to your house and I will heal your servant. If that was me, I'd be like, yes, Jesus is coming to my house. Jesus is coming with me. My servant's going to be healed. But this man has such great faith and such respect for Jesus' time that he looks at him and says, Lord, you don't even have to come. Because I know the authority that you have. And all you have to do is say the word and my servant will be healed. And Jesus was perplexed. He was blown away by this Roman officer's faith. Because this this Roman officer saw the greatness of Jesus and he knew the goodness of his heart. And he came and asked the question and said, all you have to do is say the word. And so Jesus says, this is amazing faith. And he says, then he goes on, he says, I tell you this, that many Gentiles will come from all over the world, from east and west, and sit down with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob at the feast in the kingdom of heaven. But many Israelites, those whom the kingdom was prepared will be thrown out into utter darkness, and there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then Jesus said to the Roman officer, Go back home because you believe it has happened, and the young servant was healed that same hour. So it was because of the servant's faith that he saw, or because of the officer's faith that he saw the servant healed. Now I don't want to pull this out of context. I don't want us to, to pull this out of context and say, all right, if I just go and ask the question, if I believe, because that's what it says, he says, you believed and it has happened. I think sometimes we get this mixed up in the church and we think, all right, if I just believe hard enough, if I just believe hard enough, it's going to happen. If I just believe that that person will be healed, it's going to happen. And then it doesn't happen. And one of the great horrors, horrors in the church is that Sometimes people will come around us and say, well, maybe you just didn't believe hard enough. Maybe you just didn't have enough faith. Do we know that? Can we say that definitively? 
that the person who was praying the prayer didn't have enough faith? Maybe it, was, it just wasn't God's will. You know, if I, if I say to God, all right, God, I know that you are able to give me a boat because you're able to do all things. And so I'm just going to ask you and I'm going to believe that I'm going to get a boat. Am I going to get a boat? You can say no, it's okay. Because I don't believe I will. I don't think so. We have to ask ourselves the question, what is our motivation in coming? There's a lot that goes into this. James chapter 4 talks about this. What's our motivation? Why am I coming? Am I coming in faith, recognizing his greatness and his goodness? Am I coming for some other reason? The other thing to consider is that God in his sovereignty has a plan and sometimes it's not our plan. He says in the book of Isaiah that his ways are not our ways. So we do things by faith. We enter in, we ask God, but ultimately we need to be resigned to say, God, your will be done and not mine. I'll tell you a story about an anointing service that we did. An anointing service. Sorry, I'm having trouble pronouncing my words this morning. It wasn't an an annoying service. It was an anointing service. But we had this anointing service, which we do out of obedience. Because if you look in James chapter 5, when someone is sick, it says that the, the elders of the church should come around that person. They should anoint that person with oil and they should pray over them. And the sick person will be well. And so... This, one of the people in our church came to us a few years back and said, I'm having this surgery. It's coming up tomorrow. Will you have this anointing service over me? And so we did that out of obedience. We prayed uh, for healing. Well, something stood out to me that was different about this service uh, than almost any other one that I've been in. And it was one of the family members uh, was at this service as well. It was actually this woman's son. And uh, he prayed this prayer that was so beautiful and so powerful that it, was as, it has stuck with me to this day, many years later. And here's what he prayed. He said, Lord, I know that you are great. I know that you are able to heal my mom. But I also know that you could call her home tomorrow. And I know that you haven't promised us long life. So here's what I ask. And I ask because you told me I could. I ask that you would heal Mom, and give her a couple more years with us that we would be able to enjoy her and she would be able to enjoy us and impact this world for your glory. And that was it. But what stood out to me about this prayer was this person, this, this man was so resigned to the will of God. He was like, God, I'm okay either way. I trust you. No matter what happens here, I trust you. But I'm asking you because you said I could and I trust that you're good. And ultimately, that woman had heart surgery, and she is still alive today. Now, God could have called her home, and would it changed anything? If God would call her home into glory, would that not bring peace to her heart? We pray for peace. We pray for healing. God says that he would wipe every tear from our eyes, that there will be no pain, no suffering in heaven. Oftentimes, we pray for healing. We pray for peace to come. We might be praying for that person to be lifted up into glory. And God might be answering that prayer in that way. And there's a lot there that we could get into. But my question again is, do you have faith in God and his ability to keep his promises? Because that's what faith is, being able or, or believing that God is both able and willing. I want to share with you another uh, illustration for you. 
as we get into faith and we talk about faith, one of the things that uh, I have noticed is God teaches us a lot of lessons through children. Uh, as I've had the opportunity to parent our six kids, and I still have a lot more to learn in this, uh, there's a lot that I have learned from watching children interact with their parents. Now, you don't even need to be a parent to understand this illustration, because this illustration will make sense to you. Because if you've done any amount of living, you've done any amount of shopping, you have seen this this scenario play out, right? You've been in the store, and you've heard the mom or dad say, hey, don't touch that. Some of you are laughing, because you know what happens. Oftentimes, the child does not listen, right? They often think, ah, if I could just touch that toy, this will bring some, I don't know what they're thinking. I wish I could get in, this, in the mind of a two or three-year-old. Like, I don't know if it's, I want to annoy mom and dad. I'm not listening to what you tell me. Or if it's like they really think that that toy is going to bring them some kind of satisfaction, right? But why is mom and dad saying what they're saying? Is it to remove the fun out of life, which is often what kids think? I believe, anyway. I think that that's what they're thinking. That if I could just touch this, it would bring such joy to my life. So I want to show you something. This illustration comes out of China. This was in a mall in China. This young man here, he is actually the artist. He built uh, that fox. That fox is from the movie Zootopia, I believe. I didn't watch the movie yet. My kids were listening to it on the way back from the beach yesterday. Uh, but I didn't watch it. Uh, so this is the fox. He built this out of Legos. Uh, the estimated cost on this fox is 15000 dollars, right? You couldn't come and purchase it, but that's time and material and labor. It took him three full days to build that. I'm amazed that he could build that in three full days. I don't think I could build build that in three full weeks, but uh, he's a gifted young man. So this is the picture, and then an hour after this display was open, you notice, uh, well, you'll notice in the next picture, an hour after the display was opened, this is the fox, And you see the ropes there? Those were the ropes to tell you, don't go in, don't touch. A four-year-old boy stepped underneath those ropes and just wanted to touch the fox. That's what happened. I cannot imagine the horror of being that child's parent. (laughs) Talk about, like, want to get away? Like, I just wish a hole would open up in the floor and just take me. Uh, I don't know who that child is. He's not mine. I don't know. Um, but, but the reason I share this with you is because what we do with God's commands, we tend to look at God's commands as restricting our lives. But if we would recognize God's commands are loving and are life-giving and are to protect us from this, okay, why would mom say, don't touch Because mom knows that that could happen. But what I loved about this story was the artist says, I don't want any any retribution. I don't want anything to happen to the kid. It's okay. I understand. That young man understood this. And he said that four-year-old didn't know what he was doing. He didn't know what would happen. And so often God gives us these commands and he's saying, don't do that. Don't Don't let anger rule in your heart. Be a forgiving person. So somebody wrongs you, forgive them. Why does he tell us to do that? Because he knows that if we allow anger and bitterness to grow in our heart, that's the result. He knows that if we become addicted to alcohol, that alcohol will destroy our lives. If we let greed or pride or lust or any number of sins, as he's told us to avoid, if we let those things reign in our hearts, destruction is what will happen. 
When I look at my children and I say, stop, don't go out in the street. Don't go out in the parking lot. Why am I saying that? If we were in a park, I would say, go, run, because it's safe. But here, it's not safe. Those cars will hit you and they will hurt you. They could end your life. It won't be fun. It won't be pleasurable to be in a hospital in a body cast, right? Because I have the experience to know the carnage that could come. So why is it when God gives us his commands that we don't take him at his word? See, by faith, if we believe that God is loving, if we believe that he loves us, then we look at his commands in a completely different perspective than the other way around. If we look at God as an angry taskmaster, then all of a sudden it becomes somebody who's trying to limit us in life rather than give us life. So what I believe, my faith is important in the way that I view God. He's speaking to us. He's speaking to us. Faith impacts every aspect of life. I want to close with looking at um, Cain and Abel uh, for a second. So if you go down to verse 4, you're going to see this conversation about uh, Cain and Abel. It was by faith that Abel brought a more acceptable offering to God than Cain did. A more acceptable offering to God because uh, Abel brought it by faith. That's an interesting statement. He says, I brought it, or Abel brought it by faith. It was brought in faith. Cain obviously did not. Abel's offering gave evidence that he was a righteous man, that he was right with God. And God showed his approval of his gifts. Although Abel is long dead, he still speaks to us by his example. As I said in the beginning, faith has always been at the core of our relationship with God. And there was something different. If you go back, you want to read it this week, Genesis chapter 4 is where you could find this, uh, this being talked about. Um, there was something different about Abel's offering, and we don't know a lot from the text, uh, but we do know that Abel brought the gifts of his first fruits. The, so the very first fruits that he had, now Abel had uh, livestock, Cain was the one who was doing, uh, working the land, the, the fruits, the vegetables, that kind of thing. Uh, but there was, it wasn't, I don't believe that the, the difference was in what the offering was because God asked for both offerings in the Old Testament. But the difference, I think, is on this hinge that it was brought by faith, that Abel's gift was brought by faith. And I think it's interesting because Cain clearly believed in the existence of God. All right? Cain clearly believed in the existence of God or else he wouldn't have brought an offering. He wouldn't have brought an offering if he didn't believe that God existed. But there was something that lacked in his offering, and, and the scripture would tell us that it was his faith. See, you can believe that God exists, but do you have faith that he is good? Do you have faith that he is a loving father? Do you have faith that he loves you? I believe that there are politicians in Washington. I believe that. I believe I could drive to Washington, D.C. I believe that I could go see them. Do I have faith in them? No. No, I do not. Do I trust them? No, I do not. But I believe they exist. Do you see the difference? I believe they exist, but I don't have faith that that they are genuinely working for my benefit. Now, some of you might argue with me, and some of them probably are, so it's probably not fair to throw all of them under the bus. And I acknowledge that. But what I'm saying is, I believe that God is good and that God is for me. And so that is my question to you. Abel believed that God is good and he was commended for his faith. God showed approval on his gift. 
You go down to verse 6 then, you come into this again. It is impossible to please God without faith. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. And anyone who wants to come to him must believe first that he exists and that he rewards those who sincerely seek him. So our challenge for this morning is that we would ask the question, do I believe that God loves me? Do I believe that God is for me? And now, am I going to seek him with all that I have? Am I going to earnestly chase after God and say, God, I am surrendered to your will. I'm surrendered to what you want. I'm surrendered to you because, and here's the word, I trust you. I trust you with my life. No matter what comes, no matter what pain comes, no matter what suffering comes, I trust that you are in control. And so I offer my life as a living sacrifice unto you. May we be challenged this week in our faith. Let's pray. God, I just want to thank you again for, your, for giving us life in Jesus. For giving us whatever amount of faith you've given us, that little spark. Lord, will you grow it? Will you shape it? Will you continue to reveal yourself to us? So many times, Lord Jesus, while you were on earth, you said, oh, you of little faith. And you talked to those who were doubting. Father, I know this morning there are hearts listening that are doubting, that are struggling. But God, you have proven yourself in my life and in the lives of others that you are bigger than our doubts. You are bigger than our fears. You're bigger than our worries, our anxieties. So God, will you draw us close? Will you help us to have faith that is great, that is strong? Help us to trust you. Father, for every single one of us, may our faith shape our lives. May it direct us. In Jesus' holy name, amen.